Thanks, Chris. Very kind of you. And uh, I am uh, really delighted to be with you tonight. I want to say I'm not put off by anybody shouting amen or hallelujah or help him, Jesus. Whatever you need while I'm preaching, I'm, uh, I'm not sensitive. If I'm struggling, then a help him, Jesus is going to go a long way as well. But um, actually, it's, it's been amazing for me to come. It, it was a last minute invitation to jump in, but actually it's been an invitation that's gone back quite a while ago. Next, asked me to come. Um, and then coronavirus kept blocking the way the whole time. And so... It really is a privilege for me to stand here tonight. I need you to know that I, I don't take it lightly. Um, and so when the opportunity came, it was, it, was, yeah, it was a delight for me to get on the plane. It didn't hurt that both my boys are here in Durban as well, and, so, and my mom. And so that's Matt and Matt, just wave your hand, Matt, and Ethan, and my mom, Phyllis, over there. And so it's great to have them with us. So I've been staying in my son's granny flat which has been all sorts of new things I've learned, like what happens to washing when it's not, when it's soccer games play, but the washing is kept contained for two weeks. Um, I found new dark places I never thought I would go into. Talk about laying my body on the line, because that was, that was probably the height of it. But um, I was out praying over you this morning, over this church and over the city. And I want you to know I have an, ex- I have a, I believe an extraordinary amount of optimism and faith for this nation. I've got, I feel like I've got enough that if you are battling, just come afterwards and I'll give you some of mine. I really do believe that God has got something extraordinary that he wants to reveal through South Africa. I mean, I, this is not me like living somewhere else. Whenever, whenever I hear any South Africans speak negative over South Africa that's moved out, they, they meet a different kind of lion coming at them. It's like um, genuinely because there is, there is, there are so many challenges that you face here. It's the kind of place where God will reveal himself in the midst of it. There's such a heritage, such a prophetic promise over this nation. And, uh, and we've, had, we've had a number of people leave Dubai to come back to South Africa. When they go, these are the words that to me, we wanna go and help rebuild that nation. People are not coming back just because they have to. They wanna come back to be a part of a story that God's telling. Anyway, that's, so, so as I was praying this morning, I really feel like God is in this word and I trust that um, you'll receive it tonight as a word for you as well. Um, so we're going to turn in a moment to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. If you can hear this along, I'm going to read from verse 17. The title of my preach is, Which Cross? Which Cross? And so 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 17. I'm going to read all the way through to chapter 2 and verse 6. Paul writing, obviously. He says, For Christ did not send me to baptize but to preach the gospel and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross be emptied of its power. For the word of cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of the age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? Verse 21, for since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. It pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand a sign and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and a folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. 
For consider your calling, brothers and sisters. Many of you were wise. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human may boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Yet among the mature we do impart wisdom, although it is a wisdom, it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. Over the last few days, we've been speaking quite a bit about the, this global gospel mission that God has called us on to. And um, I, I got to share one of the mornings just some of the stories of what God has done and some of the things that I've seen over the years God do um, in the, actually the adventures that He's taken me on. And it's been amazing. But I do believe that this is a significant hour for the church. I believe it's a significant hour for us for whoever we are together in this journey as we go, for Red Point, for Will of Life, for the churches that are coming together and saying, let's partner on this global gospel mission. And no one epitomized that more than Paul, who we read, his letter we read now. But what God has called us to is not apostolic tourism. He's not called us to preaching platforms. It's like, what can I be a part of so that I can get an opportunity to be seen or to be heard by other people? God is not calling us actually to anything that stokes our pride. It's about spreading abroad this incomparably good news that through Jesus Christ that we can be saved and everyone that stands condemned can be saved. There's hope for everyone because of Jesus Christ. I was chatting to um, somebody in the week. Um, I don't know if he's here this evening, but he was from Church on Main. He's 79 years old. He's still in ministry, he's still in ministry in a foreign nation, 79 years old. He doesn't look like he's ready to slow down in the slightest. And as we were talking, uh, we were talking about um, like how, how does he keep it going? And as we spoke, one, I said to him, that it's our humility that will safeguard our longevity. He said, our humility will safeguard our longevity. If you just want a short burst, don't worry about it. But if you're wanting to keep going for generation after generation, Mikey spoke about one generation commending God to the next. If you want to see that, then it's our humility that will see us through it. And the message today is not just for those who have said, yes, Lord, send me, because some have said that this week, I think, and maybe if you were here this morning as Chris preached, maybe that, that apostolic heart that Chris has has stirred some of you and you said, yes, Lord, send me. And it's not just for those and it's not just for us when we go. It's for those of us that are at home as well. It's for um, those that are the pillars of our community, those that are raising families and building businesses and blessing the city that we live in. It's how we live out the gospel in the Ephesians 5, 16 evil days that Paul writes about in a way that, um, that we continue to see it spread even in the face of contest and temptation. The first portion as we read this portion of the letter here, 
it obviously comes from a, a longer letter that Paul writes to the church in Corinth. And although it feels like it's a thousand miles away in terms of time, 2,000 years back, um, and um, obviously by geography as well, actually the culture of that city was not so different to any modern city in the world today. It was competitive, it was immoral, it was high energy, and the, the greatest danger for believers in a city like that was not so much being persecuted as it was being co-opted, being drawn into the system of the world and to begin to believe what the world is saying. And it's a letter as a leader you don't want to write. <laughs> when you think about like, which church do you not want to go visit? Corinth was probably the church you didn't want to go to. It was full of divisions. It was full of immorality, criticisms, glory hunting, drunkenness and selfishness around the Lord's table. Not outside the church, inside the church. The, the body of Christ was living this way. And in fact, at the beginning of chapter three in verse one, Paul says this, but I brothers could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. Paul is admonishing Christians who are living a worldly life. Paul actually starts off in chapter one speaking about divisions in the church and it almost feels like he's lost his train of thought. You know, like if maybe you were talking about politics in Africa and you start speaking about Zimbabwe and um, the past president of Zimbabwe, Bob Mugabe, and then you think about um, Bobby Jones, a famous golfer, and you watched a movie about him called Stroke of Genius. And so you, this thing started going in your head like this, and you suddenly turn to the guy that you're talking about African politics about and say, hey, you must see this movie, Stroke of Genius. It's so good. And you're like, how did you get there? Well, we were talking about politics. Paul's talking about divisions, and suddenly he seems to completely lose his train of thought and go into this whole thing about the cross. Has he, has he lost his train of thought? Did he lose his way for a while? Well, one thing we know about Paul is that he was one of the most lucid thinkers around. He, was, uh, he hadn't lost his train of thought. What had happened was, and, and we can see anyway, because in chapter three, he goes back to the divisions. He had diagnosed the problem. The problem was division. That's what you could see. But the cause of the problem is what Paul is um, boring down to now. Rotten roots were producing rotten fruit in Corinth. The roots were pride, independence and self-sufficiency. And Paul is using the cross to expose this. And what he shows us is that there are two crosses. There's the cross that is foolishness and weakness, and then there's the cross that is wisdom and power. Chapter one, 22 and 23 says this, for Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and a folly to the Gentiles. See, the, the Jews wanted an earthly king. They wanted their Messiah to be this political deliverer that would come to them. And instead, what they got was a Messiah who was crucified between two criminals like a criminal himself. And he was crucified. There was a, a form of punishment and um, execution that was considered so grotesque and terrible that it wouldn't even be spoken about in polite society within Rome. They were the ones that did it, but you would never go to a dinner and anyone would even bring that up. It would be considered completely, um, completely off to be able to talk about that. And so the Jews received something, instead of the Messiah that they hoped for that would, would bring deliverance, they received the Messiah that actually was an insult to them. It actually, he actually offended them. The Gentiles in their pride wanted a way to save themselves. And history is littered with human philosophies, Marxism, um, nationalism, secular humanism, ways that we can save ourselves. If only we can get this right. And, and, I, and I see this all over the world today and in South Africa. It's gonna be this political party or it's gonna be this system or this economic system or this idea that's gonna save us. 
But what they received instead was this crazy, absurd notion that the blood of Jesus was enough to wash away the sins and to transform a society and uh, sufficient to bring them into eternal life. And the fact that this was considered to be absurd, something worthy of being mocked, and actually what we believe, what we hold to is something worthy of being mocked, is seen in the fact that the, one of the earliest signs of graffiti was found in Rome. And uh, I'm gonna put a picture up for it now. It's a crude um, drawing depicting a, a worshiper with one arm raised, worshiping before a man stretched out on the cross. And underneath in the Greek, scratched in there, it says, Alexaminos worships God. He was, they were mocking a Christian. And here is supposedly Jesus on the cross with the, with the face of a donkey on, on the cross. See, our, our, what we believe is ridiculed and mocked. And it shows then as it does today that God's ways seem absurd and feeble. And actually it shouldn't be that incredible for us to see this. When we stand in their shoes knowing only what they know, I mean, I think one of the, the great um, levelers for us is to step into the shoes that we had before we knew Christ and knew what we know and go, well, actually, if I had a friend like myself who believed the things that I believe, I would think this is crazy that they believe it. What's sad, though, is not that people outside the church believe this, is that we um, betray the fact that we are in agreement with them all too often. How many of, of us, if we were honest, look on the way of the cross as foolishness and weakness, and I'll explain how we do that. See, for the Corinthians, the cross was necessary for them to get over the problem of sin. But now, this is what Paul was addressing, they see themselves fooled and rich and wise and strong. They're kings in their own eyes. The weakness of the cross and the foolishness of the cross, the humiliation of the cross, those are long gone. And, and so often that is the case for us as well. We come we come to the cross of Jesus Christ and it demands that we come completely empty-handed. There's, there's nothing we can offer to Christ. We have to come on our knees and receive and then we seek after the, the, the glory and the wisdom of this world. Paul, in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 8 to 10, uses sarcasm to make this point. He's writing to the same believers and he says this in verse 8. Already you have all you want. Already you have become rich, and without us you've become kings. Oh, would that you did reign. If only you were reigning, he says, so that we might share the rule with you. For I think that God has exhibited us apostles as last of all, like men sentenced to death, because we have become a spectacle to the world, to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. Can you see that he uses the same words that, he's, that he used about the cross, weak and foolish? He goes on in verse 10 and says, you are held in honor, but we in disrepute. But Paul isn't commending the so-called strong and the wise, because in verse 16, he finishes by saying this, I urge you then to be imitators of me. As I walk in divine weakness and I walk with, with in divine foolishness, imitate me. We who have been saved accept the necessity of the cross. We, we understand we need the cross to have our sins washed away. But too many of us then impatiently asked, can we move on from this now? It's like coming to the scene of an accident and seeing something terrible there and you just say like, I just wanna get away from that. See, we, we, we can gloss it up. We, we turn 
the cross into something beautiful. And it is, in one sense, it is beautiful, but it's, it's terrible. Our Lord was crucified naked upon the cross. He was humiliated. He was betrayed. And we see that and we go, thank, thank you, God, for what you did. And I know we need that, but we don't want to be living under that cross. We don't want to be living that kind of life where we can be betrayed and we can be stripped. Doesn't the cross, doesn't the gospel mean that we receive the gift of salvation and then like the Christians are able to move away from the cross? Looking, leaving behind, looking foolish in the world's eyes, leaving behind humility and weakness, leaving behind sacrifice and surrender. Can't we now embrace worldly power, wisdom and glory? And it's in the church, friends. People scrambling for profile. Why is my call not recognized? Do you not understand how gifted I am? Okay, I'll go and plant, but as long as you, I have medical aid and you cover my mortgage payments, then I'll, I'm prepared to go. I'll serve my church. I'll, I'll do whatever you want as long as it doesn't interfere with my kids' soccer games on a Sunday morning. Is the answer to leave the cross behind us? Paul, in this letter, says emphatically, no, it's not. In fact, he does the opposite. In chapter two and verse two, he says this, I've decided to know, to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And Jesus doesn't leave it behind. He wears his crucifixion with majesty, even after his resurrection and his ascension. His resurrected body bore the scars of his crucifixion, the nail holes in his hands, the spear wound in his side. When John is weeping because no one in the book of Revelation can be found to open the scrolls. One of the elders comes to him and says to him in, in Revelation 5, 5, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. Imagine you standing in heaven and, there's, and, you, and you feel the ache and the pain of these scrolls unable to be opened, all of history that needs to be laid out and, and no one's worthy to open it. And, and the anguish of John as he sees this and he hears this, behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah. And he turns around to see the lion. And the Bible tells us in, in verse six, between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain. Even in the glory of heaven, Jesus Christ is a lamb as though it has been slain. And even in this passage, in chapter one and verse 23, when it says, we preach Christ crucified, the word crucified for those English majors among you is the present participle, which means that he continues in the character of the one crucified. Edward Chilito was a man who fought in the First World War and he was shattered by the carnage that he saw. And he found comfort in the fact that Jesus was able to show his disciples the scars of his crucifixion and inspired him to write a poem called Jesus of the Scars. It goes like this. The other gods were strong, but thou wast weak. They rode, but thou didst stumble to a throne. But to our wounds, only God's wounds can speak and not a God has wounds, but thou alone. We worship Jesus of the scars. We worship Jesus for the scars. What Paul is saying to them, and I believe to us tonight as well, is that the cross is not only an event in history, it has to become a way of life for us. 
Luke 9, 23, Jesus himself says this, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. See, the Corinthians weren't. They weren't taking up the cross. They were taking up the scepter. Paul says, you've, you've taken your throne daily. You take a hold of your scepter daily. You, you, you clamoring for position and for power. You clamoring for platform. You clamoring for recognition. You want all of society to, to honor you and clap you. When actually the church was made to be subversive. The church is not meant to be this thing that's glorified in society. And so when we see it more and more in our societies, the church slipping out of the center place, it's actually more slipping into the place that God intends for us to be. It's one of the privileges we have in Dubai. We're, a, um, we're, we're illegal, which is really helpful. It means they can't really tell us to do anything because everything we do is wrong, so we can do whatever we want in many ways. But it does remind us that we are not the main players there. No, nobody asks the church anything in Dubai. Nobody cares what the church thinks. They, we are not consulted about anything at all. They don't base the laws on what the church thinks is right or what is wrong. And yet the church has a place of, of real power and real wisdom in that city as well. See, what happened with the Corinthians is they were leaving in the past what belongs in the present, which is the cross. And they were bringing into the present what belongs in the future, the power and the glory and the dignity of the glorified saints. Uh, one of the great challenges we've been through is, is trying to help believers understand that there are some parts of the salvation that aren't meant to be experienced in this life. Like, for example, our complete, the complete eradication of sin. And friends, sometimes we have to recognize the fact that there's a glory and a rest that will only be ours in heaven one day. Actually, the more we come to realize this, the less we fear death. The more we understand that death is actually a doorway into something glorious and wonderful. It's the, the, the completion of our salvation can only take place into the future. But too many believers want to drag all of that into here. Why am I being overlooked? Why are people hurting me or betraying me uh, for the sake of the cross? What Paul wants to show in this chapter is that the reason there is so much pride and boasting in Corinth is that they are not allowing the cross to have its crucifying effect in our lives. See, the cross has to come and has to cause us to die as well. And that's not about wearing dreary clothes. It's not about buying yourself a little cat of nine tails and whipping yourself when you sin or you know, shaving your, your head off or whatever we think it means to be crucified. In fact, what it is, is it's, it's not striving at all. It's about surrendering. Stop striving and making things happen out of our own strength. It's learning to surrender ourselves to God. Even the battle against our sin. So often we make the mistake thinking that if I can just find the resolve, if I can find some wisdom that'll help me overcome this thing. When most of the time, the Holy Spirit is just saying, when will you surrender that area of sin to me? When will you lay that thing down that I might give you the victory? It's living life to the full by recognizing that the only way to full life is through the cross. Humility, surrender, dependence, and sacrifice. I said to the leaders that were, when we were here on Thursday night, we've just been through a, a series of quite significant prayer moments um, in the church in Dubai. And the one evening um, I felt God say as we were worshiping, because often we'll go into our times of prayer and worship and just let God speak prophetically and then he'll direct us and we'll come out with some sense of clarity as to what he wants us to do. And I felt like God saying, say to us, I don't want you to leave tonight with a plan. 
I want you to leave tonight with a, with a posture. And friends, when, our, when we understand our inability and we understand God's great ability, we'll put our hands in his hands and we'll allow him to lead us step by step. But Paul doesn't leave us powerless. He doesn't leave us kind of, okay, there's, there's, you, are, you, know, you, you have no power, you have no wisdom. He, um, he actually goes to great pains to tell us where true power lies, where there is true wisdom, where there is true um, strength. In chapter one of verse 18, he says this, but to, those, but to us who are being saved, the cross is the power of God. In chapter two and verse four, and my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. This is the power to break through human pride and self-sufficiency and save. It's, it's able to reach both the, the magician and the mathematician, the, the religious and the rationalist. I sat with a, with a Dutchman the one day, I'm not speaking to the Afrikaners, this is a guy from Holland, okay, he was literally a Dutchman, so don't be offended by me, but I was sitting over a coffee table in Dubai um, having this conversation with this guy. In fact, it was an interesting story. He started dating one of the ladies in our church. You can't control everyone. I mean, I don't know what's going on with these women dating unsaved men, but anyway, she had started dating this guy, and uh, he would come over and uh, visit the house in the afternoon, and he would have an afternoon nap there, and while he was sleeping, she would put um, podcasts of my sermons on <laughs> while he's sleeping. <laughs> it's weird, eh? Anyway, so this unsaved guy that she shouldn't be dating anyway is, is sleeping in her bed, listening to podcasts of me preaching. Anyway, he would wake up and he would hear the priest go and he began to be interested in, and asked if he could meet with me. And we, we'd, we, we spent a few um, times together and I shared the gospel with him as clearly as I could. And one day I'm sitting in the coffee shop with him his name was Robert as well. And, he, and I said to him, and I was like, kind of, yeah, what is, here's the gospel. Here it is. You need, you need to make a decision. And he says, I know it's right. Why can I not make the decision? And I said to him, because you're full of pride. You're full of self-sufficiency. You're full of independence. You don't want to give it up. And I said, until you're ready, you're never gonna be able to receive what Christ offers because he won't take you that way anyway. You have to come surrendering all. And the, the gospel is powerful. It reached out to this man and he got saved. He came the next week to church and he came out into the front on the Friday and received Christ as his Lord and Savior. But not just for the unbeliever. It says in that scripture, to us who are being saved, and it's us, we are being saved. It is the power of God. In other words, there is power when we apply Christ's finished work to our lives as believers. It says in Galatians that it is for freedom that he set us free. The, the, the power of the cross brings us into true freedom. You see, it's when we learn to surrender, when we stop fighting for ourselves that we actually come into true freedom. Isn't that the case? So much of anxiety is because we, we're holding on to things that we think we need to give us life when the, when the gospel is that it's all been done at the cross. Everything you need is there. It's not like we get saved by God's power, but now we are being saved in our power. It, it is always the power of the cross. Working out our salvation or working salvation into our lives is still through the power of the cross, not by our power. One of the prayers that I pray over my children, my boys and, and Hannah, as often as I pray for them is from Philippians um, 2.12 where it says, um, now continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. 
What that means is like you saved, but you're not seeing the fruit of salvation in your life. Continue to, to see the fullness of salvation blossom in your life. It's like, it's like a garden where the bulbs are under the ground, but it hasn't begun to, to blossom yet. And, and then the summer comes and the water's put upon it and the, and the flowers begin to come out. That's what it looks like for our salvation to be worked out. It's, it's not fear and trembling as in like, oh, I hope God doesn't smack me if I don't get this right. It's, it's fear and trembling like, this is so important. This is serious. But then it goes on and says, in the next verse, it says, for it is God who gives us both the desire and the power to do it. It's not us, it's Him, it's the cross. But we have to come to the cross. We have to live under the cross itself. Paul warns in chapter one, verse 17, that we can empty the cross of its power by believing that the world's ways are real wisdom and power rather than clinging to the gospel um, of a God who has wounds. I was walking around our, our neighborhood. I, I drove through Westville when I went to visit um, Nick and Cutty a little while ago. I was up in Hillcrest where my mom lives. I was driving through, walking through Durban North today. And uh, I thought to myself, Yo, there's a lot to trust other than God around here. I mean, even with all the difficulties that people face, I know not everybody has that same amount of plushness and some of what I've seen. But I was, I was, I was looking at the, the beautiful green curbs and, and people being able to walk and, and run around and, and beautiful homes and cars driving backwards and forwards. See, the temptation for us is that we begin to rely upon those things instead of relying upon the cross of Christ or to think that, that somehow those are the things that define what life is. And the moment we do, we begin to grab a hold of it. We can't let it go. So, so often, see, what happens is God says, won't you open your hands? He doesn't, he doesn't need your car. <laughs> are you kidding? Like, God's like, oh, flip, if I know I can get a Toyota Corolla, that's what I need. You know what I mean? That's what heaven needs is a Toyota Corolla or, a, or I don't know, a Land Rover or something like that. God doesn't need your car. He doesn't want your house. He doesn't need a, a two-bedroom or five-bedroom or 10-bedroom home. What he wants is he, he's worried that your car has you. He's worried that your house has you, that your job has you, that your safety has you, that your comfort has you, that your convenience has you. What God wants is for you to say, God, if you need to take this away, you can. Because I have you, that's what I need. And so often in our lives, we, we're unwilling to open up because we think he's gonna take it. He went to Abraham and he said to him, Abraham, will you open your hand and give me Isaac? And Abraham's hand was open, remarkable. This child that he had, like there was, it was everything he wanted, everything he had dreamed for. It was, it was a fulfillment of God's promise of his life. It was a, the pinnacle of everything for Abraham and his hands are open. And when his hands open, God says to him, I don't even want it. I don't even want your son. I just wanna know that your son doesn't have you. I wanna know that I have you. That's what God's speaking about. The way that we empty the cross of its power is by believing that being second or third or last is unacceptable. And so we clamor for first place and for recognition. I'm not talking about your, your sporting events. Go for first place there as much as you want. I'm talking about life though. I'm talking about posture. Like we walk into church, am I being recognized? Am I being seen? I'll go as long as I can, I can have this place or I can have that place. Or I, do you know what I'm saying? It's, it's believing that self-gratification that the world promotes and not the self-denial of the cross is what will bring true lasting joy and peace. I fight this in myself all the time. I have to remind myself again and again and again when, when, the, when, the, when the, the, the voices come, when I watch TV or listen to this or watch that, it, it's, it assaults us every day. I say to the church, we get maybe a little bit more because I don't know how if I'm preaching too long, but, but we, get, we get however many hours a year, 52 hours a year maybe if we're lucky, probably half of that, 
to preach a message to you. And in one day, you might watch four hours of TV with another message. It's like, like voice, voice, voice. We begin to believe that voice instead of believing the voice of God. We have, the mo we have everything we need in Jesus Christ. We come to believe that comfort is fullness and sacrifice is loss and loss is emptiness. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30 and 31. I'm gonna read the first verse from the message and the second from the ESV. Everything that we have, right thinking and right living, a clean slate and a fresh start comes from God by the way of Jesus Christ. So that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. And that word boast is a Greek word, which I'm gonna butcher to death now. Kacho, kacho omai. Kacho omai, sounds Japanese word, but anyway, it's, it's apparently a Greek word. And there's no direct translation in English. So like, I can't like, say, like, bo we put boasting there, but it's much more than that. And one commentator um, uh, writes this. It means to glory in, to trust in. I boast in, um, I boast in the Lord. It means to glory in, to trust in, to rejoice in, to revel in, to live for. The object of our boast fills our horizons, engrosses our attention, absorbs our time and energy. In a word, our glory is our obsession. Some people are obsessed by themselves or their money or power. But Paul's obsession was with Christ and the cross. What, what the average Roman citizen regarded as an object of shame, disgrace, and even disgust was for Paul his pride, his boasting, and his glory. Boasting in the cross rather than the world undermines pride and self-reliance. The cross the cross is the great exchange and the great reversal. It is the upside down, inside out, forwards, backwards gospel. It's better to give than receive gospel. It's the gospel where those who lose everything end up gaining everything. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world but forfeits his soul? And Peter's right when he says that if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. What God has called us to do, we will, we will knock the legs out of if it becomes about us. You will be offended. You will. Offense will come. Imagine, imagine thinking this when somebody offends you in church. Instead of going home and going, muttering on your breath. Imagine going, oh Jesus, thank you. I suffered for the sake of the cross. Genuinely. Just change your attitude about it completely. Jesus, you were offended. Why would I carry an offense for a second? Jesus, you were overlooked. Jesus, you were betrayed. Jesus, you were slighted. Jesus, you were given the smallest room in the house when we went on that apostolic trip. Jesus, you were not asked to preach because you were the one that was silent. You see, God is calling us to something extraordinary here. Friends, truly extraordinary. You, you have no idea what he's gonna begin to unpack in the days and the months and the years ahead. There's, there's, a, there's a journey that comes for us. We've gotta follow the way of the cross. We've gotta choose, are we gonna choose the cross of the world, which is so-called wisdom and power, or are we gonna take the weakness and foolishness of the cross? Do you wanna know how to overcome? Do you wanna know how to have the power of God? Don't let the cross become an historic relic. Keep it at the center of our everyday work and our relationships. Paul made his tents under the cross. He preached under the cross. He disputed opponents under the cross. And we, like Paul, are to eat and to drink and to sleep Christ crucified as a redeemed community and to live under the cross.
John Stott, in his wonderful book, The Cross of Christ, speaks about the fact that the cross is everywhere. Like wherever you go, I love this. When, uh, when you're in Dubai and you're out at sea and you look at the Burj Al Arab, there it is, this big cross at the center of the building. The lampposts and the electricity poles, the cross of Jesus. I was walking, praying this afternoon and, um, and I saw one of the houses there in the middle of Durban or some guys put up a big cross there. It's everywhere around us. It's, 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 it reminds us again and again, but not just of the fact that we've been saved, but that we are the people of the cross and of the way of the cross. And John Stott concludes, and, and I'll finish with this this evening. He says this about the cross. He says, the whole mentality of selfish ambition is incompatible with the way of the cross. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give. He renounced the power and the glory of heaven and humbled himself to be a slave. He gave himself without reserve and without fear to the despised and neglected sections of the community. I wanna come back to this, I'll finish in a second. I went out riding yesterday morning far and uh, we were out we were out in um, in the in the back areas behind kind of Mount Moorland um, on our way past the airport in that area there a lot of shanties and shacks there I love I love interacting with people when I'm riding out um, I wave to the kids and I shout to the people as I go past the, we were, the guys were cutting the cane you know those those muscular men in those fields with their the covers on like this and that burned cane dark like this, but where they're cutting through that cane like this, working hard. And so I waved them and they'll shout back. And I, was, I saw these two little girls, toddlers, on the road, on a dirt, one of the dirt roads. I kind of turned it I was, and I was going across like this. And I was gonna ride past and give them a high five like this. As I got a bit closer, I saw that the, the, the one little girl was holding a toilet roll and the other little girl, she, she could have been three, had her pants pulled down like this and was squatting there and was going to the toilet in the road. And I thought to myself, I thought to myself about this country that I love and that I have such hope for, that one day she's gonna grow up and she'll, she'll tell us very like, this is where I went to the toilet when I was a little girl, you know? And see, we fight for, we fight for the, the gospel in this nation, not so that we can pack our churches out, and, and we should, not so that we can have a, a name and a reputation, but because the thing that changes that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what changes it. And I was, I was struck again by, by like, these little girls. Like, I mean, I'm riding past on my bicycle and this little girl is having to go to the toilet on the road. Uh, they're like, and I, like I pulled away quickly from going for the high five. And I was like, like the humility of that. And Christ would have us walk in that humility. He would have us humiliated even for what he calls us to. And so John Stott finishes and he says, his obsession was the glory of God and the good of human beings who bear his image. Those little girls bear his image. To promote this, to promote these, to promote the glory of God and the good of human beings who bear his image, he was willing to endure even the shame of the cross. Now he calls us to follow him, not to seek great things for ourselves, but rather to seek first God's rule and righteousness. Can I pray for us, Nick? Would that be right? Can you guys stand, please?
I was um, looking around during worship. I want to commend you, church. Honestly, I, like to see the passion and the zeal of people worshiping Jesus, I, I felt an, a genuine love for Jesus Christ. I think that is the most beautiful thing I can see in another human being is that they love Jesus with all their heart. And this message tonight is not a message, it's not a heavy message, although I suppose if we're walking in pride and those kind of things, we receive it as a rebuke. It's actually a revealing of the beauty and the wonder of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. See, Jesus, even in His exalted position, is humble. And so humility is not something that we have to endure for a time so that we can be glorified. Humility is our glory. When somebody offends you, you leave here thinking, I've been glorified. When Peter and Paul were, were beaten, they counted themselves privileged to have been um, counted worthy to suffer for the gospel. Open our hands. Can we do that tonight? Can we just open our hands? Lord Jesus, we trust You. We trust You. What do we have, Lord, in our hands? It was not from You anyway. Everything that matters, everything that matters, Lord, only came from You. And even the things that don't matter, You've given us as well, Lord God. We wanna come before You today amazed, amazed that the God of glory, the Creator God, the Prince of Peace, would become a servant and die upon the cross in our place that we might have eternal life. How dare we hold on to anything? How dare we grab and posture ourselves with God in any way for our own glory? Oh Lord, we delight to give You the glory and we delight to imitate You and follow You. Thank You for the cross that reminds us of this Lord and Saviour who gave His life up for us. We offer ourselves today, Lord God, that You might come and have Your way. Won't You come, Holy Spirit, and help me to open my hands, not just my physical hands, but, but as it were, my heart. Where I've thought this thing or that thing, I need that to be happy or to have meaning. I need You, Lord God. I posture myself dependence upon You. I put my hand in Your hand. I say, would You just lead me, Lord? Every step of the way, would You lead me? I want to follow You and I hold nothing back. And where, Lord, I've been carrying offense, I've been carrying unforgiveness, I want to let it go tonight. What a fool I've been, Lord God, I hold on to those things. I let it go. I just let it go tonight. Where I've harbored selfish ambition, Lord God. Where I've sought my own recognition. I humbly lay that down. I'm sorry, Lord, that I've done that. I want to see Your name lifted up. I want to see Your name glorified. I want to see the gospel go, Lord God, into the into the um, the top 
towers of business, Lord God, and to the little girls in the roads, Lord God. I wanna see Jesus on the lips of people of every nation, tribe and tongue. I wanna go, I wanna be a part of it. I wanna go short term. I wanna go long term. I I want you to use me. I want you to use everything that I have, Lord God, that your gospel, this beautiful, wondrous gospel may go out. I put Isaac on the altar. I hold nothing back because I believe you, Lord God.